This episode of POMCAST is sponsored by Yorkshire Yarn Fest. Since 2019, Yorkshire Yarn Fest has brought together crafters from all over the world with their virtual festivals, which take place live on Instagram. Wait, 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 what? Record scratch, Soph. They have a yarn festival on Instagram? How does that work? Let me explain. Each maker has a 15-minute live slot on the last Saturday every month on the Instagram profile at Yorkshire Yarn Fest, where they talk about what they do. So far, Yorkshire Yarn Fest has hosted 26 virtual yarn festivals, all of which you can play back at your own leisure. This is great fun, as you can watch at your own speed, maybe even treat yourself by purchasing something directly from the makers. Wow. I've also just found out by checking my notes, that you could also join Yorkshire Yarn Fest for their third in-person event this month, which is a celebration of all things yarn, wool and fibre. The next IRL Yorkshire Yarn Fest will be at York Auction Mart, which is just on the outskirts of York, so it's very well named, on the 28th of May. Check out YorkshireYarnFest.com for a list of exhibitors. And it's beautifully organised because tickets are timed. The venue has plenty of space for social distancing, which I know is on a lot of people's minds still. And there are also areas for sitting, knitting and chatting. Oh my gosh, sounds perfect. My favourite things. I know. Even better, there's a cafe on site for those all-important caffeinated beverages and snacks. Oh yeah. (laughs) And as if this wasn't all exciting enough, we have great news for podcast listeners. That's you. Our friends at Yorkshire Yarn Fest are offering you a free ticket to the next event on the 28th of May. You can just use the code POMCAST, that's P-O-M-C-A-S-T, when ordering your ticket via YorkshireYarnFest.com. Woohoo, can't wait! Hello! Hi and welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Sophie Heathscott, I just made a joke and uh, distracted Lydia at the beginning of that recording, and here she is, it's Lydia Gluck. <laughs> I'm back from the joke, hello! <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a nice time? It was great, it was a good joke, I enjoyed it, and now I'm back, back to the real world where there's no jokes. No jokes, no jokes on this podcast, only facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we're a knitting <laughs> podcast brought to you by the magazine Pom Pom Quarterly. We've got knit chat, we've got craft chat we've got crochet chat we've got yarn chat uh, but crucially no jokes <laughs> no jokes thank goodness i hate yeah. jokes me too um so welcome welcome to this podcast this is one of our interview centric podcasts and we are talking to sylvia watch cherry a knitting designer don't you know i do know and sylvia watch cherry is i mean we have so many pom-pom favorites but i i think we can safely say that sylvia is one of our favorite designers to work with for all sorts of different reasons we said that about all the people. But I yes, know, but they're definitely. all great. We mean it every time. <laughs> and you know what? I mean it every time when I say how delightful people are to talk to for interviews as well. Um, yeah, Sylvia, we had a good old chat. Uh, it was just me solo interview this time. So Lydia, you can get cosy and listen to this lovely chat with Sylvia. Indeed. I know. I'm, it's always. I always feel sad when I am not able to be there. Uh, for the interview but I do then get the exciting experience of just being able to listen to the interview and imagine I am a pomcat and it is good. (laughs) Good well I am pleased. Um, (laughs) Before we get on to the interview uh, we want to check in with a little bit of pom news. We've just released the pattern previews for issue 41. Oh boy oh baby. It's been very exciting uh, thinking about 10th anniversary things and really internalizing the fact that this is our 10th anniversary issue um and now people can see the patterns 
and get excited about them. And soon they will see the magazine IRL too. And that will be even more exciting. It's it's a good time. Yes. Did you feel a little emotional when everything was shown? I did. I really did. I mean, it wasn't, um, I wasn't uh, working on the day that we like officially, you know, officially pom-pom working every day I am kind of working on pom-pom but uh, I wasn't online that day with y'all um while we posted the previews but I like had a little look you know just sort of checking in to see how they were being received and I did get I did get a little emotional and also I've been you know every time somebody asks me like oh how's work going like how's pom-pom and I say, yeah, it's going really well. It's like it's actually our tenth anniversary this year, and they're always like, "Oh my god, ten years! Oh my gosh!" And some of some of the people asking me those questions knew me before Pom Pom and remember st- me starting it, or like were living with me when I started it. So they have like a kind of real time capsule of of you know what was going on ten years ago, and it just it feels so wild to think that it's been ten years and that we're still here and that we have so many exciting things in store for people. We still got it. We still got it. I know, <laughs> it's it's a momentous time. Uh, so yes, issue 41 is available pre-order now. It's uh, our anniversary issue. And of course, because it is a celebratory issue, um, it's extra special. We've got 13 patterns, so it's a bumper issue. It has a really cool flip cover. So you flip it one way, you've got half the magazine, flip it upside down, back to front, and you've got another magazine of the half and a new cover, um, not a new cover, a second cover, I should say, but it's new if the other one seemed old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can just flick back between them each time, be like, wow, a new cover. Yeah. <laughs> Goldfish memory. Wow, a new cover. Wow. <laughs> and each of these covers, we've sort of split it. Although it's a summer issue, you've got half these patterns, which are sort of autumn, winter stylings, and then flip it. And it's summer spring styling, so a little something for everyone. Indeed, yes, but exactly because it's a, a special issue, and we wanted to have bumper patterns, and we wanted um, a, a just a variety of all different sort of kinds of knits for different kinds of weathers, because we wanted the issue to kind of represent pom pom as a whole as it is now, which is a place where you can have various kinds of patterns for different kinds of weather. If you want to uh, check these out, you can see uh, the show notes. We'll have links to the patterns there. Uh, also, if you use Ravelry, you can find them on there. Also, we have a blog post, which is detailing all of these wonderful patterns. And you have the social media world, if you uh, partake in that. I often do. I find <laughs> many patterns there. <laughs> Indeed. And there are other exciting changes that we've made on this occasion of our 10th year of uh, bringing knit fun and crochet fun and other craft fun into the world. And one of those changes is that we're increasing the size of the magazine in both dimensions and page count. Yeah, it's, it, this is really momentous. This is a big old change because uh, Pom Pom, if you have a copy of Moon and Turtle, the book released, it's kind of like that big, but not that thick. I don't yes. know if that helps. So, so the new size, to be clear, new- is, 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 is Moon and Turtle sized. And if you do not have a copy of that book, then you can just imagine a bigger thing than Pom Pom, a bit more square, a bit less portrait, but still, you know, uh, a very manageable size it's not gigantic you will still be able to balance it you know on your sofa with you or wherever you need to take it um but we just felt it was time 
to have a bit of a change and especially this change is kind of geared towards being able to make the most of the gorgeous photography of all the beautiful knits hopefully being able to see those a little bit better and also have a bit more breathing room in the magazine so that the layout can be a bit more accessible um, and hopefully our charts can be a bit more accessible too so it's all hopefully in in the aid of making pom-pom dare I say even better Yes. Can you imagine such a thing? Yeah, the improved layout is something that, you know, readers have asked us about and we've made it happen. So it's very exciting. I also love the audio format that we have of the podcast. We're like, imagine something. Now imagine it bigger. So that's... Uh... <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> so another one of the changes that we wanted to share with you that we've announced on our uh, website and social media newsletters, etc., is the price change. So Pom Pom from issue 41 will be £17.50. Uh, that's in Great British Pounds. And uh, this allows us to continue to produce the magazine that you love. Yeah, it's not a decision we've made lightly, but it will help us, as Sophie said, to continue to make the magazine, to pay people as fairly as we can. And, um, you know, you've probably noticed, as we all have, that things are more expensive than they were. <laughs> I feel like this is a general trend. Um and we still feel it's a fair price, you know, for getting lots of excellent patterns and features. And we hope to be able to include more on the features side um, with these extra pages. So watch this space and we look forward to you seeing how great Pom uh, Pom 2.0 is. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for your continued support. And yeah, we hope you enjoy this new bumper issue, uh, along with the exciting celebrations of our 10th anniversary just want to spend a little time to mention the merch that we have on the website which is so fun <laughs> it really is we had um i mean we had a lot of fun trying to like decide on which anniversary related merch we wanted to put out there and choosing colors and so on and we have three not one not two but three items of merch for uh pom fan perusal yes so stitch markers Pretty impractical. Everyone needs stitch markers. And these are a super cool collaboration with all stitch who do stitch markers. And they are shaped like flowers, Lydia. I mean, what more do you want? Nothing else. Everything is complete now. I have all the knitting things I could ever dream of. Well, you think that. But then I'm going <laughs> to tell you that we have tea towels. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> tea towels? Yeah. I love tea towels. They're how I, I dry things in my house. <laughs> I'm going to keep using the phrase pretty and practical because I mean like they are right mm -hmm. Agreed. <laughs> uh, and these have a super cool like flower daisy design which is based on uh, one of the designs in issue 41 by Amalia Siva uh, and it's sort of a riff on her lackadaisical mitts from issue 41 so uh, we're delighted to use that little design across our merch and then what do you get for the person who has everything and loves Palm Lydia I mean, I feel like they maybe would like a way to really wear their pom-pom love with pride, perhaps on a sort of garment. I think I've got just the thing for you. Uh, you need to get yourself a pom-pom t-shirt. You're right, I do. That's what I need. My goodness. <laughs> so using the same fun daisy design from the, uh, from the tea towel, we have a set of t-shirts. You'll notice that in the website they're modeled by the staff so uh, we all love our t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> it's just win 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 <laughs> it's very exciting yes I ha don't have my uh, personal t-shirt or stitch markers or tea towels yet but oh boy when I do I am so excited I recently did a sort of um, 
I tried to find all the stitch, you know, I'm not very good at keeping things all in one place. And I have sort of stitch markers scattered around my house and it's looking a bit sad. So if I'm not going to lie, so I'm excited to have a little refresh <laughs> and <laughs> upgrade my stitch marker situation. I mean, this is the ultimate upgrade. Yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person who has a little tin with all my stitch markers. in, so, you know, just that's uh, people so. are different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you say tomato, I say tomato, you know. <laughs> And that's why we work together on a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of issue 41 and all the excitement around it, um, we should probably circle back, if I could use that term that we all love, to <laughs> the interview that you did with Sylvia, whose design Paragon uh, graces one of the two front covers of this very exciting bumper edition. Uh, so you'll know Sylvia, oh, you should know Sylvia. I mean, Lydia, when I say you should know Sylvia, you do. Um, her designs are featured in issue 30 of Pom Pom, her Fata Morgana, which is this beautiful lace uh, and sort of chevron textured inspired jumper. Tortoiseshell, which is also the cover of issue 34. It's an amazing Intarsia number. And yes, unsurprisingly, there's a little bit of Intarsia involved with Paragon on the issue 41 cover. Um, Sylvia is amazing knitwear designer who uses bold patterns. She's sort of inspired by her African heritage and uh, uses African textiles and carvings in her work. And she was just delightful to talk to. She was just warm and friendly. And I just can't wait to share this uh, interview with you. Um, so Lydia and Pomcats, please enjoy our chat with Sylvia. Good morning. I'm delighted to say good morning to Sylvia Watts-Cherry. Hi, Sylvia. Hi. Hi, Sylvie. Welcome to the Pomcast. I'm delighted to know that you were, uh, you're, you're a fan of the Pomcast, that you have listened. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been listening for quite a while. Um, while I'm working, I like to have something in the background and something audio is perfect because you can listen, get involved, but you don't have to actually watch it. So it's brilliant. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we also have the added joy of describing things. Uh, yeah. Audio, yeah, or on the audio, so you can get involved in that when we start talking. <laughs> yeah. How has your morning been? Have you uh, been up to anything so far? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite an early riser, so I normally get out of bed around 5, 5.30. And as it's getting lighter, I'm getting out for my walk earlier and earlier. So today I was out at 6 in the morning. So I, I do about an hour and a half just to refresh, reflect and get ready for the day. And after I actually miss it when I can't do it. So I try and do it every day. It motivates me to sort of do things. And it's a good way for me to actually sort out problems. And I've, while I walk, I sometimes I'll see a shape and I take, I take tons of photos. I'm always taking photos. So I'll take a photo and think, ooh, that would look like a nice design. I can imagine that transforming into a pattern. So I'll I'll take so I have a bank of photos that I can refer to, but sometimes it's me working through how to describe something in a pattern or whatever. So walking's actually quite therapeutic for me. 
So I try and do that. So I've, I've been out there today. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, I'm very envious. I, naturally, I'm not an early bird. And it's something I am trying to train <laughs> myself to do. But you're right. That like morning refresh, even if I think I'm so busy and I've got this and I've got to yeah. just sit, sit down and work, even just taking that 10 minutes, you're so right, just like helps you get in that headspace. It does. I, I think usually, and I say to my daughters, the best time to actually go and have a rest is when you can't afford the time because you so, you sort of keep your mind working and working, thinking you're being productive and just having a little bit of rest, you come back to something and you see it afresh and it you sort it out a lot quicker. So it's, you know, it is useful, but I've always been an early bird. I remember when I was younger and I couldn't tell the time and I woke with the sunrise or the sun, you know, the sun rising and the summer, it was awful because I'd be ready for school by five. I'd be standing there going, why is nobody else awake? I <laughs> so, love yeah. that. I love the idea that you, you were never late then, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, being late is a problem for me because um, in my fa- I've got two daughters and my husband is notoriously lastminute.com and so is one daughter. So two of us love being early and the other two just drag their feet. So we normally have to tell them everything's an hour earlier so, just so we can get there on time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not good at being late. <laughs> well, you were very on time today, so I can, I can confirm that. <laughs> I was going to ask, I was curious, so the, the space when you go for your walks, is it, uh, you know, I, you have to remind me where you're calling from now. So is it, yes. is it more of an urban environment? Is it, uh, you, know, you know, parks, okay. woodlands? But where, where are you, uh, yeah, where are you having these walks? Right, I'm, I'm, I live in Hertfordshire, um, just north of London. So we're probably about 20 minutes, well, maybe even less into London. Uh, where I live is a small town, but we've, we've got a lot of farmland and countryside around. So sometimes I have to walk about 10, 15 minutes to get out into the woods, sometimes shorter. But um, I, I can walk through the pavements and just chill because I go out so early, I don't see anybody. And then I can get out into the woods and the fields quite easily. So I can then hear the birds. Uh, so it, it's, it's a town, but we're not far from the countryside. Yeah, wonderful. It's such a tonic to be able to have that space to yeah. do that. How wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I don't think I could function without my early morning walks. It is something that I desperately need every day. <laughs> it's good practice, and I'm glad you've had it today. So, yeah, you're, you're set up. Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm, I'm set. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we wanted to invite you on because uh, you've designed for Pom Pom for several issues, but um, mm-hmm. you're going to be part of our issue 41 uh, collection, which we're so excited about. And we're going to get to that oh, yeah. in a little bit. Um, but I guess we'll start at the beginning. We wanted to ask you about your earliest memories of knitting and making, where it all sort of started for you. Wow. Um, well, I came to the UK in 1970. So I was just about, I was just over seven. And um, uh, I went to school in Aberdeen um, in Scotland. So I was brought up in Scotland. And part of the curriculum was knitting for like a term, you would say. And so we all did knitting around, I think I was about eight, 
when we did the first stretch of knitting. And it was just something I took to immediately. And I think I've said, I've told the story that in those days, that most people that knitted were older generations. So it was like for grannies. And as much as we admire handmade garments today and love to show them off, in those days, you wanted to buy shop-bought. So if, if your parents or grandparents made you anything and you were embarrassed to wear them to school, um, so it wasn't something to boast about, but I just loved it. So none of my friends took to it. And I remember everybody struggling to cast on and, and I just went whizzing through casting on, made a teddy bear and it was a red teddy bear. I wish I'd kept it. You know, the things that you throw out because it does, you just don't think they're important. But um, I made teddy bears, I made um, clothes for my dolls. So that was my earliest memory of making and just loving it. And my mum was not creative or craft in the craft um, side at all. But they used to wonder why I was doing things like that, or how, how I understood it. And it just all made sense to me. I've always enjoyed numeracy. So to me, it was all very rhythmic and sequential. And it just... Um, made my maths brain quite happy. Then we did some sewing. And I remember, again, I came from an era where girls did one thing, boys did another. So before you left primary school at 11, you had to have made an apron because you were going to use that in secondary school to cook and to learn cookery. So I made an apron. And then in secondary school, we had to make a shirt. And it was in the 70s, so you can imagine all those collars and things. That we... Those long pointed collars, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the... And the floral, um, like Liberty, but worse <laughs> type um, patterns on the, on the material. So again, that was something I did. I wasn't, I didn't take to sewing as much as I did with my knitting. My knitting was always there all through school. And in fact, this year I'm 60 years old, so we're arranging a small group of us from school, uh, having a trip up to Edinburgh to have a weekend together. A week together, a lot of my friends have sort of become aware of how much knitting I do, and, and they rem they reminded me how I was always knitting during recess and playtime and stuff. I was always knitting, so I, so it's not just my memory. So people have reminded me. Um, so I knitted all through school and university in my time hidden from everybody because I didn't really want people to know I wasn't cool um, so in the 1980s I started my machine knitting um, journey and I started designing loosely in the loose word that we're designing um, knitwear for children and I'd have parties where a host would invite their friends and I'd showcase some of my samples and they'd place orders, which I would then go off to make up and deliver to them. So that was, I enjoyed doing that. And that was just before I had my daughters. And when I had my daughters, it sort of put paid to machine knitting because it took up so much space. We didn't have the room. Um, so that was still part of making, I had my daughters, and they went to a school where 
a lot of mums had time to make things. So you had to get involved in making things. So every time there was a party and it was a fancy dress, you'd have to have all the right stuff. And I couldn't um, always buy the... Because I had two daughters, I, everything was being duplicated. And so when they went to ballet classes, I saw the dresses they had to wear and I thought, I'm not buying that, I'll make it. So I go to the market, buy all these materials and make their dresses. Um, I can't sew, I can sew with, I can just seam up. I didn't do any tailoring or anything with it. I just saw the shape, drew it around the girls in brown paper, cut it out, and then I just sewed it and made it fit them. So that was the extent of my designing in that sense. I love that. I think that's like the motto of so many of a maker, seeing something and being like, no, I can make that. I, I'm not going <laughs> to <Yeah. find> that. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. The worst was when you went to the Disney shop and you saw the little princess dresses and I'd go back. I thought, I have to buy two of these. I can't afford that. So I'd just take them into the changing room, took all the measurements. Then I'd go to John Lewis and just say, I need material. What do you need? Well, I need that. And I'd wind it around the girls because I didn't know how much I needed. And then I'd go home. I'd place them on the ground, trace around them <laughs> and just made things. And it worked. Um, so that went on for a while until we started our business. Um, and that took up a lot of time. And, you know, you're working seven days a week to keep a business going, bringing up the children. So my making sort of stopped a little bit. Uh, we sold our business in 2016. And just before that, probably about 2015, I was under quite a lot of stress with just managing so much. We hadn't expected the business to grow as it did. And, it and this was just is the machine lot. knitting business? No, no, yeah. no, I gave up. no, no. I gave up machine knitting after my daughters were born. But um, because I didn't have the space to hold all my yarns. We went into an educational business. We set up a tuition centre um, because I, I sort of, when I got bored being mum, because I think I've got a bit of a short attention span. I love <laughs> my kids, but I just felt my brain was dying slowly and I needed to motivate myself. So I volunteered at the local um, adult education centre and I was working with adults with basic skills, the poor numeracy, and just was astounded as to the poor numeracy that um, I could see. And I thought, this is a, a rich country. How can people have reached this stage with such poor skills? And that, it was just before all the education, education talks by the government. So I was involved in all the pre-setting up of those things. And I was doing it all voluntary after my normal day job and leaving the girls with their grandmother and my husband. And I was just so incensed. And I think, again, going from my science background about research, I just thought, there must be a reason why no, these people are failing. So I wrote to all the schools in Hertfordshire, uh, all the head teachers. Most of them, in fact, almost everyone apart from three ignored me. 
because my question was, why is this happening? What's being done to address it? Uh, and I remember having a meeting with two head teachers from local to us, and their thing was that parents wouldn't be interested in education that much, and they knew there was issues. And I thought, but I'm a parent, and I would do anything for my child. So it's that's how we set up initially because I just felt that they were wrong and I needed to do something and what I did was I looked at because we live in a fairly wealthy area where private schools are the uh, uh, there are a lot of private schools locally there's a lot of competition for those schools and for very top schools and I knew there were a lot of people who couldn't afford those type of education and who couldn't afford the private tutors that so many children could, had. So my thing was to set up something on Saturdays initially, focusing on basic skills and trying to make education something that people would want to have. So uh, we set up the tuition centre for Saturdays only initially to test it and I employed six formers so my thinking was children are fed up being taught by adults so what if I bring in something somebody that was like a big brother big sister and they could see it was and I wanted really bright uh, older children teaching younger ones so they could see that education was something cool and something they might want to be. And so I didn't employ adults. I didn't want teachers because I thought, you know, you're the ones that fill the kids. Let's bring in fresh brain. And that worked. I was shocked at how well that worked. And we set out to focus on the poorer children. So we made it like a small group thing to make it more affordable rather than having one-to-one because I thought that would be cheaper and we could make it work for poorer parents. And what we found within three years was that we were getting doctors and lawyers, all these people that could afford one-to-one, they just loved the ethos of what we were trying to do. And and so that the business really grew from that. Um, so anyway, going forward to 2015, I was extremely stressed. We employed over 20 staff we had this over 400 children at some points and after exams it went down to about 250 children coming every week it was a lot to work with and a lot to manage trying to think of classes that parents would want to bring their kids to trying to train new staff because we were still employing young people so of course the turnover was high because after a levels they would disappear and what we also were doing, we're bringing in children that we taught. So they went through our system and we looked at those we thought had the skills to mentor younger ones. And we invited them back to teach. So it was like a family environment. Everybody it sounds knew everybody. fantastic. Yeah, it, it was really good. But I was stressed. So I went back to knitting. I went back to hand knitting. And I didn't know anything about the popularity of knitting and how it had become popular while I'd stopped it. Um, and when we sold our business in December 2016, I found myself in January thinking, well, what do I do now? All my friends are still working. I'm too 
young to be going to the old people's centres. So what do I do? I go back to my knitting. And I, f- two, I found two places I could go to. One of them was uh, like a meetup. I found it in meetup. And it was um, a place not far from me in um, uh, just not Finchley area in North London. And uh, went there and just met this group of wonderful women. And it was really good fun. And the second place I went to was um, South Thames College in South London. And the tutor there, Ruth Heron, was a designer herself and been designing for years and does a lot of designs for designers. She works with a lot of designers. I went there because that was all I could find. So I didn't need to learn how to knit. I just wanted the company. and The community, she, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she encouraged us to, or she encouraged me to start doing my own designs in a loose way. She'd say, well, what do you want to make? I want to make that. I can make that for my husband or my daughters. And she says, okay, so what you do is bring an old, uh, a jumper or sweater that will fit them the way they like it and use the measurements from that. So that's how I started playing around with it. And then I got, um, after all the talk about do black people knit and everybody's starting to become more uh, visible, and I in turn decided that, you know, I don't need it, but if it will help others see that there's black people knitting, let me show myself on Instagram. So I started posting a little bit on Instagram and I think that's how I got spotted by one of the researchers of the Channel 4 program on um, Kirsty Allsop's um, Christmas sweater competition. And I got involved. I thought, oh, it's a bit of... I initially, I thought it was a joke. And so I didn't... <laughs> um, I thought, why would they write to me? This is a joke. So I ignored it. And... One day I was talking to some friends. And I said, oh, you never guess what sort of message I got on Instagram. These people. And I relayed it. And they said, well, it might be for real. I said, nah, don't be silly. So I went back on it. And I think it was meant to be. Because the deadline was that day that I was having the call. But I'd missed the time. Because it was by a certain time. So I sent a message saying, I'm not sure if this is genuine. But if it is, I'm still interested. I know I've missed the cut off time and the message came back yes you have really sorry but on the Monday I got a, another message saying they've decided to extend it would really love you to put a submission in and that's when the eureka moment had the effect because then I thought let me do something with an African um, background so I found a piece of material and it's a very popular material with them um, sort of circles and things it's it i haven't brought it here but um it's a quite a popular material mm. we can um have a photo i was gonna say we can have a photo on our, our blog so people can see that if you can send it through later yeah okay, love having that. that yeah thanks. okay and um so what i did was i decided to um come up with the design which is i called it the african christmas jumper yeah. Which oh, I love has... it. I've got show and tell here. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't... can you see the bubbles and the? Yeah, yeah. Colors? It's sort of 
a few of them see it's like mustard and we've got that fantastic blue and uh, the bauble intarsia almost yeah yes it is and the sequence and i thought that the cable made it look like um christmas baubles hanging yeah. up on the tree and sort of that was the tree so you've got the tree with the bubbles hanging down so i absolutely loved the working on a brief and this one was one that i just couldn't get the design right because i'd never done design before i mean i'd taken a, a sweater and worked with it but not actually designed something from scratch so i went for lots of walks <laughs> I kept thinking every time I came back from my walk, I'd revise the pattern. And then eventually I thought, this will work. Um, so that's how it, that one came about. But I enjoyed the brief. I, of, I enjoyed working from a brief and then coming up with an idea. And that's led to me then saying, oh, let me, maybe I could do some designing. And I remember I went to an event where Kate Arthur, Kate Heppel, and um, Cine and Joni from Lane Magazine were there and they were talking about designing for magazines and things and I sat there thinking oh, maybe I could just submit something and if it doesn't work it doesn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so Nip Now was the first one because I thought well it's British it's local and it, nobody will kill me if it does if it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> and Kate took to it and it was really um it was amazing because I knew my pattern writing because people by then the Nubian Queen had happened and people kept asking for the pattern I thought you know all the work I knew from knitting was old school where you went to the shop bought your paper pattern and you made it and those the instructions were quite sparse so I thought I can't use that. I don't know how. I had never bought a modern pattern, so I didn't know what was in it all entailed. And using the uh, magazine's um, style sheet, I learned how to write patterns from that, and then went on and then got in, did the one uh, Fata Morgana for Pom Pom. Yeah, issue thirty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that. So I think. That's a long answer for a very short question. <laughs> I loved it. It was a whole story. <laughs> so one of the things you mentioned uh, was that Eureka moment, which I've read about. And I wondered if you can tell us a little bit more about what that means. Yeah. Um, well, prior to the Eureka moment, there'd been lots of talk about diversity um, around in the craft industry. And I was searching um, a little bit because I was feeling a little bit awkward, having been brought up in Scotland and very much a minority in Aberdeen when I was growing up I had always felt a little bit different and so when all the diversity talk was happening I started questioning more about where I fitted in and you know it's almost the sort of things that you do when you're a teenager but here I was in my 50s searching 
And my one of my daughters is very creative and always visits exhibitions. She invited me to an event called um, Africa Utopia at the South Bank. And it was just a wonderful few days of colour, music, uh, just all the senses were being um, fed. Um, and I walked in through to the big hall where mostly of the eventers were the exhibitors. And I was just, I was walking down the stairs and I just stopped and just looked at this sea of beautiful colour and and it was just colours that just warmed my heart and colours that I just resonated with because I'd always been brought up in the sort of more muted colours of the Scottish Highlands and, and the Fair Isle knitting. Everything always seemed a little bit muted, but I always wore very bright colours and I was always different. I always stood out, not just because I was the only black person in the room, but because I wore these colours and it just seemed to me that there was something missing and it just felt like I'd basically come home it was something that just made me feel so happy and and as I walked around I saw loads of different patterns and designs from African fabrics and I just sort of thought you know they would fit into knitting and why was nobody doing anything about it but what really struck me was just the suddenness of it. It wasn't something that gradually happened. It was just hit me like a bolt. And it was almost like being in a TV film or, or a film where you have this ping moment. And I just kept wandering around thinking, oh my gosh, look at all these colours, look at all these colours. Why is nobody doing anything? I've got to do something with it. And I started researching to see if there was anybody I could find that was using inspiration of um, Africanness in their designs. Um, the only person I could find was Laduma uh, from South Africa. Um, his designs are very much, very distinct to him and almost come from his tribe and his culture. But I just thought, you know, there are, I need to investigate more. And so it sent me down a path of researching. And the thing that was available to me was, Afri was the African fabrics. I'd always known about uh, the wax print and I didn't actually realize that the wax prints didn't originate from Africa to me, because to me they were African um, and they're Dutch. Most, you know, and so I started learning about the history of how the wax prints went, got to Africa. And, but I thought, well, if they're not indigenous to the Af you know, west of Africa, which is where I'm from, from Nigeria, you know, what is? And so I started reading more about indigenous tribes and or looking at the artifacts that, that were in the British Museum and then books. I've got about a million books on African fabrics and textiles. And as I researched, I looked into the background of the tribes and the cultures there. And some of the tribes are not around anymore, but their work certainly is. And so that, you know, I saw a lot that I felt I could incorporate into um, knitwear. So that's what where it's all sort of started and come from. 
I, so I feel like it's a little bit of my mission to um, help people learn more about um, the indigenous tribes of the continent Africa, which is such a big place. When we talk about Africa, people think it's a country, but it's so massive. And, and I haven't even start, begun to dig into anything. So what I've done is just really scratching at the surfaces. Um, but I also feel that as I've done it, it's actually filled little gaps for me as a person. Um, the feeling of not belonging is fairly strong in me because I've always felt I was always on the peripheral. And so learning about how the indigenous tribes, how they live, started to make me feel like, you know, this is part of my heritage that regardless of where I live, is part of who I am. And so it's almost a bit of therapy when I do my design. It's almost a bit like I'm going through therapy. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I um, I wanted to talk about your issue 41 design because obviously that is influenced, uh, you know, by these patterns and I think beadwork, this particular yes, one. Would was. you be able to tell us? A little bit more about that. Yeah, um, one of the things I've I found from my research is um, how lots of tribes in Africa use beads, and they produce beaded necklaces, beaded um, garments for covering the female genitalia, and in fact, beads have you know, they're used to sort of show how, you know, development of women and and wealth, it can be used for showing how prosperous a family is. So it goes, there's a lot about the beadwork. Um, and looking at the patterns, I found that there were a lot of diamonds. So you'll probably find a lot of diamonds in my design. And depending on which tribe I've looked at will influence what sort of design. I have. So the des design for um, Paragon for issue 41 really did start initially from looking at diamonds and then I started looking at what I had in the house that I could um, incorporate and I've got a bracelet which is this beaded bracelet. And you nice, we've got show and tell here yes. for me, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see there's a lot of di the diamonds are in interlocked and they're all different colors so I did start off with that um, as a way of coming up with a new design and I played around I haven't got the charts with me but I started playing with them and eventually what came out of it was um, Paragon the Paragon design which uh, w which was my first swatch that I was happy with um, so I filled some of the gaps with other um, patterns so that I didn't have long colours, which were, you know, I just like to have as many colours I like in my design, I think. So I just, I decided to fill um, other designs within the diamonds. Uh, so there was other patterns going on there. So that's how the Paragon came on, uh, came about. And I was so happy with, the yarn companies that were chosen, especially when uh, La Biennemi's um, pink um, lipstick, flashy lipstick arrived, because that's one of my favorite colors. It's so strong. And I started playing with it. 
and yeah I was so happy it was just it was a really really happy knit you know whenever I do intarsia people say oh it's so it, oh gosh it's there's so many ends and it takes so long but it's actually a very therapeutic um way of knitting for me because I don't have time to think it's you know I'm just looking at the colors and the appearing and and it's so actually the plain parts which take me longer. Um, but this in Paragon was the second time I had actually done an all over intarsia. So I just felt that for um, the 10th anniversary, I had to do something a little bit special because normally I'll do intarsia just in the front uh, because I think, oh, people won't want to spend so much time doing all that fancy work all over. But I just, you know, thought, you know, this is celebration. Um, it's a celebration of um, Pom Pom being 10 years. It's also my 60th birthday year. So I just wanted to pour everything into it. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to put it over the sleeves and um, the front and the back. And I didn't, as I was um, doing the grading, I sort of realized that I had to do a chart for each sides and the sleeves so that was fun uh, but yeah that's how Paragon came about it started off as a bracelet a beaded bracelet and ended up as a fabric wool fabric it's fantastic and I'm so it is like you're so excited about it because it is it's so exciting that it's this anniversary issue and it is so celebratory and for you to call it a happy jumper. Yes, I mean, yeah. It just sounds all so great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it was just, it made me happy. Um, when I was approached to put in a submission, I, I thought, you know, I'll put it in, but I'm not sure. And when it was accepted, I thought, yeah, this is it. It's going, I'm going for this now. Um, because I just wasn't sure how people would you know, whether people would be interested in intarsia all over. Because I know when I've, I've had patterns, people ask and they, they admire it, but they say they wouldn't want to make it because they think it's difficult. But I really don't think this is difficult. And I've seen some of the samples that have, um, that have been made and they're just, each one's amazing. I look at them, I think, I looked on Ravelry, I think there was two other, um, there's the chink fibre one, which is absolutely beautiful and then there's a somebody else has done uh, another sample on Ravelry and I looked at it and I thought oh I want that one too <laughs> <laughs> so that's it really amazing well we're very excited about it and uh, I was going to say we'll have links to all those beautiful photos and projects on our blog so people can see them so yeah we're very excited about Paragon. We know that you're excited as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll see lots more beautiful versions very soon, I'm sure. I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I wanted to ask, what's on the horizon now for you? What what future projects are you looking forward to? What sort of plans, what hopes and dreams do you have? <laughs> okay. Well, immediate um, plans for me is having my grandson to visit. Um, I'm dog-sitting at the moment, so... It's been quite stressful getting up. I normally get up early and go for morning walks. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this dog needs to be walked. So he'll come in at about half past five and I just wake up. I think, okay, let's go. And going up for two hours with him. But uh, my grandson, who's on holidays with his parents, is 
arriving in just over a day. So I'm excited. You know, it's, it's a lovely thing to have a grandchild. It's almost like when you have your own children, you're so busy being reactive, you know, reacting to everything that's happening, making sure that they're fed, they're reaching their development targets. My experience was that, that I didn't have a lot of time to actually enjoy my children. So for me, having a grandchild is like getting the chance to actually enjoy that experience of having somebody little that is connected to you. So I'm, I'm loving that experience. Um, in terms of the work, I'm sort of looking at really where I'm going to be going. I get better known. You start to get lots of offers and it's about matching the offers that um, meet your desires. And, you know, I've loved everything I've worked on and that's the problem. I love everything I do. <laughs> and I think now I just need to calm down and just look at the projects that I work on and make sure that they're meaningful to me uh, or for me. Um, I, I don't expect to be leave a massive impact but I would like it um what I work on now to have some sort of meaning and so that I can look back on what I'm doing and be proud of it so yeah so I'm I'll probably do a bit more teaching I do enjoy teaching especially if it's at live events because I just love live events. <laughs> I just get a buzz from meeting new people. And I think, you know, knitting has been amazing because it's just allowed me to meet so many wonderful people from all over the world. And, you know, just connecting with people on Instagram and then meeting them in real life and just thinking, oh, wow, I actually do like you, uh, <laughs> which is amazing. Because uh, sometimes you don't know. People follow you because, you know, it's the thing you do. You follow everybody, but you don't know what people are really like. So it's lovely when you meet people for real. So, yeah, so I'm probably going to do more teaching and I will carry on doing my designs. Um, and it may be that um, we'll get a book out of it because I really do want to delve a lot deeper than what I've done and just really look at the history of some of the work that I've been looking at and um, maybe a little bit about the people, you know, their dreams and desires, everything else, and then maybe a pattern from it. Um, I think I said before, I've said once before that it's my desire to travel around different parts of Africa and just actually get into the villages where time stands still a lot more and get to meet um, people who are still practicing crafts from bygone times and to sort of look to see, actually get a living history of what's going on. Don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, I can it's wonderful. Yeah, I hope yeah. it all comes together. And I feel yeah. like, especially after the last two years, you know, everyone, yeah, everyone needs to be able to meet a bit more and travel a bit more. So, I Oh, hope. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Well, it's been so much fun talking to you and I want to sort of end with the question that we usually end with, which is uh, what you're excited about at the moment. Well, my, my, my excitement in life is my family. I absolutely adore, especially the new additions, uh, the grandson. 
who is now getting to a point where he chats a lot. So we sit making noises at each other. <laughs> and watching him feed is like another thing. Uh, his parents just strip him off now because he, he's so messy and they're fed <laughs> up watching him. So watching him eat is just such an experience because he's completely stripped and he has his bib and then the food goes everywhere. It goes on everybody. And, but it's so amazing. And you can't take the spoon away from him. He needs to feed himself as well. It's just hilarious. So, yeah, he's coming um, to visit again in a day and, and a bit. And so... That's what excites me. It's, you know, just watching him growing into Aww. the human that he needs to be. That's so sweet. I was going to say, it's like he's not getting food over Grandma Sylvia's knitwear, I guess. Uh... Oh, God, no. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> <laughs> when they visit, I lock the workspace and I just become granny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been lovely chatting to you and getting to know a little bit more about you and your work. And uh, I hope one of these knitting events very soon we can uh, meet in person because that would be great. I hope so too. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for, thanks for everything. Bye, Sylvia. Thank you. Bye. Well, what a wonderful and, like you say, warm chat with Sylvia. I was, like I said, sad to not be there, but what a joy to listen to her. And you um, oh, just left me feeling even more excited about issue 41, if I could be. <laughs> She's great. And actually, at the beginning of that interview, we talked about um, her going for a walk in the morning. And this morning, I was like, you know what? Before we record, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to be like Sylvia early in the morning before I start and I'm going to uh, yeah have my walk. So she's inspiring me in so many ways. <laughs> so many different ways. And thanks again to you, Sylvia, for joining us um, and giving us your time and all that inspiration. So that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, just a reminder that our episode was sponsored by the lovely folks at Yorkshire Yarn Fest. And don't forget, you can get that free ticket to their next in-person event on the 28th of May. Just enter the code POMCAST when ordering your ticket at YorkshireYarnFest.com. And that's us over and out. And we love you. Bye! <laughs> POMCAST is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Heathcott, along with the team at Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe to at our online shop. That's pompommag.com forward slash shop. I mean, if you're missing out on issue 41, then I don't know what you're doing. So got to get that. <laughs> Big thanks to Eli Block for creating the original music for this show and for being an essential part in creating this podcast. He was there right at the very beginning, 10 years ago. Oh, he was. He really was. And thanks, of course, to Portmanteau Music for the tracks that we used in this episode. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez. You know what? She was there at the beginning as well. Weirdly, um, she was. Yes. <laughs> Co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. Oh yeah. And thanks to the whole Pom Pom team. You know who you are. We love you all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Happy birthday, everyone. Happy birthday, everyone. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? If only people could leave 10 stars for our 10 years. We'll take five. That's fine. Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com or any congratulatory emails also accepted. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. 
Um, so, speaking of issue 41, I was trying to segue. Would you like to segue? <laughs> speaking of uh, issue 41, wait, why am I segueing? For Sylvia? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wait, why am I segueing? <laughs> Where am I? 